What is up, Kangaroo Chasers? And this week, I chat with New Zealand Rugby League CEO and boss, Greg Peters. And let me tell you, it's probably my favourite interview in the history of this podcast. And I, I know that's a big call, 102 episodes, but I enjoyed every second of it. Um, I hope you do too. I'm Michael Carboni. This is episode 102 of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. Kangaroo Chasers, welcome back. Episode 102, we keep going and uh, really great chat tonight with Greg Peters, CEO of New Zealand Rugby League. If you're a regular listener, thank you. Thanks for following, sharing, subscribing, liking, telling your friends all the good stuff that we um, that we absolutely love. We love this little community that we're building. We love that you're a part of it and um, all the way around the world. It's absolutely amazing. This chat tonight, Greg Peters, fascinating stuff but as always if you're a new listener you will uh, find out right now that we normally start the episode with some golden points some some bits of news from all the way around the world before we dig into our our long form chat which sort of goes deep into a certain topic which tonight will be new zealand rugby league now if you are a new listener and you do like this episode i do encourage you to go back into the back catalog there's some great content there Specifically tonight, I will shout out to episode 19. It's called RS Eagle Rock, and it's, it was a long time ago. In fact, the audio quality will be nowhere near as good as this episode, but we had a lot of fun, and my guest then was Stuart McLennan. He was the coach of the RS Eagles in the, uh, in the Greek Rugby League competition, the Greek Rugby League Association over there uh, two years ago. He went on to be the first Greek women's rugby league coach, and over the weekend, he coached the women's nines to a grand final at the Sydney International Nines as well, uh, Mr. Stuart McLennan. I'm glad to say he's with me right now. Stu, how's it going, mate? Good, good. Thanks, Carlos. What's happening, mate? <laughs> mate, it's all happening. I should ask you are, you, are you back in Canberra? You've had a massive weekend with the Nines at, here up up here in Sydney. How are you going? Yeah, yeah. no, I, I'm good. A little bit tired. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm back in Canberra now. We're back, we came back today and um, oh, just, just reflecting on a – on a great day uh, at the Sydney Nines yesterday. We didn't uh, eventually take it out. We got beaten in the last second after the um, buzzer went by Lebanon wow. and, and full credit to them. But um, so I'm still a bit disappointed. I feel like um, it's uh, the 1989 grand final. Um, I don't know if the T-man's there, but he, um, <laughs> he, he would recognise that one and that feeling. We um, that, that sort of feeling came back again for a little while, but... Um, I'm just absolutely proud of the girls and the effort they put in um, yesterday. It was just fantastic. It sounds like they did a great, great job. I mean, coming together quickly for this event, you guys, I understand you had a couple of training sessions together, but um, this is really the first time that that a, a Greek women's side has got together on this side of the world, um, assuming a lot of the girls were heritage-based as well. But the first time they're getting together, so it's a massive effort to even 
just to be there, to make a grand final and to go down after the buzzer, I mean, you can hold, the girls can hold their heads up high for sure. Absolutely. I mean, we, we put the call out last September, I, I think it was, to say, is there any Greek heritage um, girls who, uh, who play rugby league or would like to play rugby league and represent their country? Um, we slowly had players trickle in. Um, we got to uh, the 6th of February. That was our first training session and the first time we you know, shook hands with each other. A lot of the girls didn't um, know anyone else. Um, and then we, we had two training sessions from there. Fortunately, we lost our, um, our captain and inspirational leader, Sam Economos, who played NRLW, um, uh, if, if anyone knows it, for the Auckland Warriors last season. Um, yeah. So, you know, a, a, a top-quality player. Um, she had to play a trial match that morning. We lost her with a, an ankle injury. But um, the lady, uh, our vice-captain, Alexis Maverantonis, who was, it was actually instrumental in getting this um, squad together um, initially. It was sort of her idea. Um, she just stepped up and um, and was brilliant. So, um, and all the girls were brilliant, to be honest. Um, all sixteen of them um, put in and gave us um, a wonderful effort um, that almost came off to winning the final. So, um, I couldn't ask for more from them, to be honest. Sensational, mate. And I reckon if you got a few more injuries, Mary Kay from Ladies Who League would have st- stood in as well. So you would have been. Yeah, fine well, there. Mary was there. Mary was there. <laughs> Mary came along to support us. Uh, we had great support, actually. Um, Billy Magulius um, came and um, I saw that. Uh, yeah, Cronulla, um, that's awesome. Came out and handed out jerseys. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mary came to support, and we had some, we had some um, other Greek Aussies that just turned up on the day and and came and chatted to us and said, you know, um, we're here to support you, which is um yeah, it's overwhelming. The um the Greek rugby league family is just um amazing to be honest. That's um, incredible, mate. And obviously, look, golden points tonight. The, there's going to be a, a couple of little ones, but we're going to dive deep into our first golden point, which is obviously the Sydney International Nines big event over the weekend. And um, mm. mate, I, I wanted to get you here to get your first-hand re- recap of it, because last week we spoke to Taz and Ray. It was fantastic, but it was very much like the the, the insight from the guys promoting the event, the guys that were yep. really pushing the event. So, you know, I didn't get to dig deep and really unpick certain things and ask hard questions last week. Mm. I feel like I can with you. So we can sort of talk about sort of what went on. So tell me about the day. Tell me about the event. Tell me about some of the other results as well and um, and sort of what 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 happened all day. Yeah, look, um, um, look. I, I think it's a fantastic event. Um, it's a it's a very long day, and I know they had to sort of put it on. And you know, there was a lot of, lot of um, reasons for that. You know, I think COVID being a, a big one is that it was a little bit later this um, this time round. Yeah, um, which meant some people were committed to club trials and things like that. Um, yeah. I know, you know, even with our trainers, we had we had to use about three different trainers because they all had to go off to their club commitments. Um, but um, fantastic day. I mean, so many sort of um, heritage nations come together, you know, um, Lebanon, Greece, Italy, um, Africa United. There was a Kuri team there, um, the Philippines, you know. I mean, there's just there's all these countries together. I mean, the Cook Islands were just fantastic. Um, the noise they were making with the drums and stuff. And um, and um, they had a great team that got very, uh, very close to um, winning the trophy in the men's. Um, and we played them in the semi-final in the women's. Um, yeah, just just a, a, a fantastic atmosphere. Um, a pretty good crowd. I think um, 
if um, in different circumstances and, and, and maybe, you know, in not COVID times, they could have been promoted a bit more. Yeah. Um, there wasn't a lot sort of out and about uh, on social media or anywhere else um, about the event. So a lot, I think a lot of people didn't even realise it was on until it sort of, it's, it's sort of hit. Um, but I, I, I just think that the event has got a huge amount of potential, um, not as a not as an NRL type event. I think, you know, you, you don't want it to go to that level because that then takes away the whole sort of grassroots, fun, heritage side of things as well. I would, um, I think you hit the nail on the head there that it was kind of like a secret event almost. And it is every, like mm. the Cabra Nines every year sort of creeps up and all of a sudden it's on and, and people are there and it's, and it's a great thing. But I feel like this year, obviously COVID was, was, was in the way. So we didn't know how things were going to turn out. Obviously they turned out quite well. People were able to come. We had some great competition, but um, it would be great to see this thing sort of take the next step in the next few years and really market it. I mean, it's called the Sydney International Nines now. It's a big, it's a big change in brand from the Cabra Nines. And I just think we've got an opportunity here. Um, I'll go through some of the results. So in the men's, so the cup final was taken out by Cabra Matter. Uh, in the trophy, it was the Italian heritage side. And then the plate final was taken out by Malta. For the women, you've mentioned already, Lebanon beat Greece on the buzzer. Um, mm. So some great, great nations involved. The local boys there it, with Cabra. I think that's something that we need to look at in future as well. Like, So for me, and this is, look, there's probably a thousand ways you could do it, but I sort of think we should keep it grassroots, but have a think about really making it like an emerging nation nines kind of thing. Mm, so for mm. me, like for, like the thing that troubles me is I see like Cabramatta winning the, the men's and I just think, okay, well, you know, it, Cabramatta should be, there should, there, sh- there should be a place for clubs, but I think it should be separate with the nations. So I just think we need to think about how we do that. Obviously it's hard, you know, their teams are coming together, um, some last minute because of COVID. So it is hard to plan it, but I just think we need to um, think about, you know, there's a lot of potential for this event. And it could, mm. it could like plant seeds for the future in many different areas and could grow into something very special, not only in Sydney, but, you know, maybe around the world as well, if we play our cards right. So I don't know. What do you think of that? Like emerging I, nations I, I, idea? I absolutely, absolutely agree with you. Um, it, you know, obviously, obviously the, there's a connection between um, it being held at Cabramatta and the Cabramatta Club and all that sort of thing. And I think they were sort of heavily involved in organising this one. But yeah. look, I, I agree with you that, it, you know, if the international flavour is, um, you know, where it should go. Um, the other thing that I, you know, <clears throat> one of my issues, I suppose, is um, being the coach of um, the Greek women's team is to make sure that we have a quality between, um, you know, in 2021, the women's game and the men's game. Um, yeah. So, you know, look, um, the women's played on, 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 on field two. Um, there wasn't any live streaming until the finals. I think there should be, you know, it should be more equal and we should be playing women's games on the main field and all that sort of thing, I think. You know, women's rugby league and men's rugby league should be considered on an equal basis these days. Yeah, um, definitely, especially yeah. at especially at an event like this. So I agree yes. with you there as well, mate. That's that's um, yeah. And, and and our Greek community back in you know Greece were really really itching to watch uh, the live stream, and obviously they got to watch the final, but that was the only game they got to watch, and they were they were really keen to watch it. And that was the other thing that you know I, there didn't seem to be a lot of um, marketing or publicity around the live streaming either. Um, so it made it difficult for people to, to catch up with it um, that couldn't actually be at the ground. Look, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. It was, you know, it feels like 
because of COVID, things were done yes. hastily, but great event nonetheless. And all, all I guess I'm saying is let's spend the next 12 months thinking about it, planning it, and really building this thing up and, and taking it where it needs to go because there's potential there. Um, you mentioned um, the guys and girls back in Greece uh, cheering mm. on from a, probably a bar in Athens, I'm, I'm presuming, mate, uh, your old local maybe. But um, tell me about, I, I read somewhere, and it might have been one of your articles actually, that some of the, some of the girls from your, your nine squad are planning to, to go over to Greece and sort of train with the girls and play and sort of teach them, teach them a yeah. thing or two about, yeah. about look, rugby league. Look. Yeah, look, our goals, we've got a couple of goals with um, this squad here uh, in Australia. Um, number one is we're uh, in negotiations with Vanuatu to hopefully play a game against Vanuatu in Vanuatu. Um, that's that's obviously not finalised yet, and there's a number of factors, you know, obviously COVID and travel bubbles and all those sort of things, but also, um, you know, whether the World Cup goes ahead, that will sort of that will sort of impact on timing and all that sort of stuff because obviously, you know, if the World Cup does go ahead, then we'll, yeah. all our resources will be in that in October, November, so maybe December or maybe next year before that happens. Um, but, the, the, look, the major objective is, um, and, and it's always been the same with the men, is to get a core group of Aussie Greeks to go over um, to Greece and work with the, the domestic girls because, um, for us, for, for, our, for our Greek rugby league, um, you know, a, a major objective is development within Greece. Um, and, and, you know, with both women's and men's um, to, to boost the competition, but also to boost the development of the players as well. Um, and then with, a, with, a, with an eye on the 2025 World Cup, to be honest, um, that's where we're looking with the women. Um, you know, we qualified for the men in 2021 and 2025 is where we're looking for the women. Um, and I, I don't think that's an unreasonable expression or ambition either. I think so as well, mate. I think they can they can do it. Certainly, you look at the heritage talent coming through, that can help. And if they get some of those domestic girls firing, um, sensational, mate. The, the, I love the, the balance of the heritage and the domestic and the cultural aspects mm. of it all as well. Speaking of culture... Um, let's go Golden Point to the All-Stars matches that were played on Saturday night that just passed. Did you get a chance to watch those, mate, or were you celebrating hard with the Greeks? I was actually, as, as I was leaving Cabernet, I listened to the, um, the, the women's game on, on the radio, um, and I did get to have a look at the, the highlights. Um, I mean, they're, they're just fantastic events um, on, on our calendar. You know, the fact that we... You know, recognise um, two cultures that have had such an impact on um, rugby league, particularly in Australia, uh, the Maori and the and the Indigenous culture, um, and to have the haka and the war cries and all that sort of thing. I, I think that's just you know, it's so important that we have that on the calendar. Yeah. Um, and and look, you know, from what I saw, there were two great games. Obviously, the women's game, uh, the Maori dominated, um, and then we had a draw. Um, um, with no golden point in the um, in the men's game. How do you feel about no golden point? Look, I I would have liked to have seen a winner. Yeah. Um, there, and um, it seemed like um, from what from what I've read, the uh, indigenous uh, Katie Walker thought that was that was going to happen. That's why he took the shot of goal. Yeah. Um, rather than going for the try. So, um, yeah, it would have been nice to have an outcome. I think it's funny when there's golden point. 
there's a big contingent of people that complain. And when there's no golden point, there's a big contingent of people that complain. So there's, there's probably no right or wrong answer. But great events, no. as you said. The Māori women, um, 24 nil. Absolutely dominating. Mm, that was incredible. And you mentioned yeah. ten all with with the men. Great way to start the season. This event's really growing on me. Like I really, mm. I really love it. I think we do when it comes to rugby league, we do heritage and culture the right way. And I think this is the perfect mix. Absolutely. Um, mm. Having it in Townsville, full house, like masterstroke. Yeah, that was fantastic. Like that yeah. was incredible. Atmosphere was was off the charts. And I think having events like this in Queensland rather than New South Wales, I like. I'd love mm. to see it go to New Zealand. Actually, I think Benji mentioned your mate Benji mentioned that as well. Oh, and how good? How good was he? Um, I mean, I was obviously um, very sad to see that he won't be in um, a Tigers jersey this year. But just to see him, you know, still putting guys through the hole, those little grubber kicks. Um, you know, it was a bit of vintage Benji there um, um, last night. Big T's listening and going. I'm glad. You, I mean, you benched me again this weekend for golden points, but I'm glad you've, you've replaced <laughs> me with a Tigers fan. But yeah, Benji was incredible. Uh, sensational. Mm. But yeah, I think there's there's certainly a place on the calendar for all stars. Um, where it goes from here, I think we just keep doing what we're doing. Like yeah. played in New Zealand, there's been talk of like having two games or inviting Pacific All Stars or things like that. I don't think I don't think we need to worry about that sort of thing yet. I think there's some great great um, fire in this event, and um, it's a great way to start the year. So yeah, awesome stuff. Mm. Yeah, mate. Golden Point, uh, France, where the elite one. Uh, where there was an announcement that the, the elite one is set to expand from ten clubs to twelve. Did you hear about this one? I did hear about that, and um, I, I mean, I, I really, unfortunately, the times aren't too friendly for me, and I, I struggle to um, stay awake to um, watch them. And particularly, with, you know, we've got the um, the Greek forward Stephanos Bastas playing an elite one. Um, but um, I, I love the competition, and, and you know, if, if we could get it to, you know, it's probably never going to be NRL or Super League, but if we can have a third major competition, and that's the Elite One, I would love to see that. Um, I just think it's fantastic, and it, it just gives us a, you know, a, a base um, on continental Europe um, where you know the better players from around Europe can can gravitate. Basically. Yeah, definitely. I like what they're doing. Like you mentioned, Stefanos already. There's other Greek boys yeah. in the Greek Elite One and Two. There's been Serbian guys, there's been Spanish guys, mm. you know, there's there's Italian guys, Jolly Chalarinos over there as well in the Elite One. Yep. So there's, I think it's, I think that, I think we can do more to grow the game through the Elite One than we can through Super League, to be honest, at those sorts of levels, because it's just a better stepping stone. Um, Absolutely. I love the 10 to 12 clubs. We're hearing that the way, it, it, it will be a promote, like two clubs will be promoted from Elite Two, but it won't necessarily be like a first and second pass the post situation. There will be some criteria involved, and we're, we're yet to hear what that will be. But I assume there might be, like, maybe it'll be a, an expansion component, or maybe it'll be a mm. who, who knows what that is. But we await we await further information there. But it is exciting. It's good to see the game growing over there. And and France, they seem to be awakening. Hey, like, and and yes. I'm ex- yes. I, I'm excited by that because I feel like France in the short term can become a superpower again. And by short term, I mean like ten years or something like that. I just think mm. we're hearing about expansion like this. We're able to watch more of their competition, which is great exposure. Um, there's talk of, you know, that France pushing for an England-France test every year. There's just a lot of talk happening again from that part of the world. And um, for me, that that means great things for our game. Yeah. I would love to see a Paris team in there. I mean, I know we've had Paris teams before. 
I'd love to see a Paris team in that competition as, as much as I'd love to see a London team in the in Super League um, yeah. again. So um, I just think you know it's really important that those major cities have um, have a rugby league team. To be honest, sensational, mate. And um, speaking of big cities of rugby league teams, or big states, I should say, USA Golden Point, uh, where California Rugby League they've announced their six clubs. They've been talking about five or six clubs for a little while uh, for this season, and it's good to hear all of the names now. So we've got. I don't know if you heard this one, Stu, but we've got LA Mungrel, obviously, from last season. San Francisco mm-hmm. Savage, again, in their second season. We've got uh, the Palo Alto Razorbacks. We've got the North Bay Bandits. We've got the Sacramento Immortals, who are undefeated. Uh, they've played quite a few trials. Uh, and probably your favourite one, mate, Sacramento Young Tigers. Yes. Yes, no, I did see that. And, um, yeah, that, that, again, that's fantastic because, um, you know, there's lots of activity and, but the good thing is it's all in one area. I mean, obviously with the USA, you know, you can have a team in New York and you can have a team in California and stuff. But, you know, the difficulties without having a huge amount of dollars there um, of playing each other is just immense. So having a local competition that could then, you know, expand out into winner of California plays the winner of, you know, an, another area in USA um, seems to be the way to go to me. Um, so that you, you know, you, you, you're developing your, your teams within a small area um, that can play can, can play a number of games against each other. Hundred percent. I've said this for some time now. There needs to be more than USARL. There needs to be a few different yep. pockets, three, four, five, six, and eventually the dots on the map do join up. And I think they're doing great things mm-hmm. over there. Uh, MattHainsports.com.au. If anyone follows him on the socials design some awesome concept jerseys for all six of those California Rugby League clubs. They're not the official jerseys, but they look amazing. And, of course, Matt Haynes Sport, big sp- supporter of this show. And uh, you can get 10% off your kit production at If you mention you're a kangaroo chaser, so go check him out and check out those designs because they're amazing. Uh, mate, another shout-out. So Golden Point mm. to Scotland, where um big shout-out to Alex Chandler, who we know is listening from Scotland Rugby League. Uh, and this, he shouted out us, so I'm going to shout out him. He's taking part in. He was taking part in a charity walk, raising funds to get their wheelchair side over to the World Cup. Alex added ten thousand steps to their tally uh, whilst listening to Chasing Kangaroos episode one hundred. So, mate, happy to be in your ears, Alex. And uh, if anyone out there wants to help the cause, check out Scotland mm-hmm. Rugby League on the socials to find out how. Um, and yeah, it's going to be a big, big World Cup, mate. Hopefully, we can. Hopefully, if things keep going as planned. Yeah, look, um, um, I'm I'm being as optimistic as I can, and um, you know, thinking that it's still on, um, and it was supposed to go ahead. Obviously, we'll we'll know a bit more in March, um, perhaps or perhaps not. Um, but yeah, I think we've just got to keep charging ahead with it. And um, um, fantastic effort from Alex too. I mean, there's so many good people in rugby league, and Alex is obviously um just another one of those people that um you know dig in and 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 help out when it's necessary which is just fantastic absolute champion make golden point and not really a golden point this one i just wanted to get your opinion saw this on nrl roast and it was uh it was a quote from andrew johns via morning glory which is a show by his brother maddie johns andrew said Uh that uh they should play pacific islander all-stars at the end of the year against the winner of state of origin i know how i feel about this but um what do you what would you think about something like that Stu? Look, uh, if, if it could be managed, I, I know, um, you know, I mean, the, the biggest problem is that, you know, we've got the 24 rounds of NRL and, 
you know, um, people say that players are, you know, have, have got too much on their plate with that and origin and all that sort of stuff. But um, otherwise, I'd love to see it. From a, a spectator, rugby league fan's point of view, um, yeah, I, I, you know, why not? Yeah. I'm glad um, I'm glad we disagree on something for for the listeners' sake. It uh-huh. makes for interesting listening. I'm against it. Like Tonga beat Australia, so why should the Pacific Island All Stars play the winner of Origin? It's just two concepts mashed together. Oh. I'm not a fan. Yep. Let's let's yep. keep the end of the year for internationals. We need more of those. So yeah. um, I, I can see thing. where you're coming from there. Now that you say it, I can see where you're coming <laughs> from. Um, yeah, I, I, I just love watching rugby league. So if there's a game on, I'll watch it. <laughs> yeah, give us more games. I agree with that. Yeah. We agree with that. Mate, yeah. uh, final golden point before I get to my chat with Greg Peters from New Zealand Rugby League. Um, golden point, Brazil, where uh, the Brazil Rugby League are about to announce a new major sponsor of their men's and women's international sides. Um, do you know who it is, Stu? A new sponsor? I think it's, it's probably some a company that's very close to you and another guy um, <laughs> who does a, a show called Beers with Brownie that's about to come up. Um, and that's what I'm thinking anyway. You have would, good, I, would, I, would I be along the right lines? You have good mail, Stu. Uh, we're proud to <laughs> announce, and it's going to be announced this week, that uh, ChasingRiz.com, uh, we've been teasing it out for a little while. We said we're going to sponsor a, uh, a developing rugby league nation. That nation is Brazil. Uh, we can add that to our Netherlands sponsorship as well of their referees, helping them out. We're going into year two of that, but Brazil Rugby League will be on the jerseys for the men when they're playing. I think they've got about four or five games planned for this year. We'll also be on the jerseys for the women when they're at um, when they run on to the field at the World Cup 2021. So very proud to announce that if you're listening to this uh as soon as it's released you'll be one of the first people to know about it to find out about it and um you can expect some news or a press release via our social media pages uh, at chasing ruse uh this week at some point that's fantastic cars and um yeah there's some great things happening uh in brazil um and you know guys like rob bergen are doing a, a fantastic job over there and uh, I, I just love watching it um because it's um, it's it's building our game um, into into new markets, which is just fantastic. It's sensational, mate. They've got a lot of potential. They're doing things, you know, the balance between heritage and domestic is great. There's a lot going on mm. on the ground over there. Very similar to Greece, mate, in my opinion. So we might have to talk yeah. about sponsorships later later on, mate, because it won't oh, be the last. <laughs> we can always talk about sponsorships, mate. <laughs> it won't be the last because this community, it's all about, you know, growing growing the game, growing rugby league, and um, we're, we're trying to give back in some way. And uh, before the website is launched, which will be very soon as well, chasingriz.com, we're, we're starting by, um, by, by giving back already. So um, it's very important to us. Mate, um, that's all the golden points for this week. Unless you think I've missed anything, is there anything you wanted to sort of bring up or, no, or give no, shout out to? No, I think... Um Beers, beers with brownie um, probably deserves a golden point. Um, <laughs> you know, your 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 partner in business and uh, former Fijian international uh, Phil Brown has got a uh, pod, uh, a YouTube show coming out uh, shortly, um, which everyone should subscribe to. Um, they need to get a Chasing Ruse um, YouTube account. Is that right? Well done, mate. Yeah, that's exactly right. Check that out. That'll yeah, be out and, this week um, as well. And I believe, yeah, I believe his first uh, interview will be someone very close to the Sydney Nines. It was ta- um, Tasbia Terry. Yeah, correct, yeah. mate. Correct. He's got, yeah. I think he's going to have to get you on the show, mate, soon as well, because I think that'll be an awesome chat. I'd love to see, I'd love to watch you guys having a couple of beers 
and talking yeah, about your well, rugby league adventures. Yeah, I had a beer with Brownie. But we, yeah, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't go down the full road, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll have another beer and, and definitely have a chat. Definitely yeah. record. <laughs> That's awesome, mate. Well, speaking of awesome chats, um, this episode, the big interview on this episode, uh, Greg Peters, New Zealand Rugby League, he's the CEO, he's the boss, the big boss, and um, it was an incredible chat. Um, for me, like uh, we just. It was a very natural conversation. We got to ask a lot of questions, and he was incredibly honest. And those are my favourite interviews. Um, I asked him things like, "Does New Zealand uh, is New Zealand ready for a second NRL team?" And he answered that very honestly. He, I asked him, "Is New Zealand ready to host a World Cup on their own?" Uh, he answered that honestly, and the, the answers surprised me a little bit. And I, I hope I hope you guys all enjoy the chat. It was a wonderful conversation, and I got a lot out of it. I can't wait to hear it back. Um, just a little little bit of a disclaimer. Uh, this was recorded a few weeks ago, so it was recorded before Roger Tuivasa-Shek signed on with New Zealand Rugby Union. It doesn't really change the conversation at all, at all but from memory, it was a few weeks ago. Uh, we did mention RTS once or twice, so it, it shouldn't change the context of the conversation. But yeah, I just thought I'd throw that out there. But uh, yeah, wonderful chat with Greg Peters, and uh, it's coming to you soon. It's coming to you soon. I will say before I do go, but uh, Stu, always awesome to chat to you, mate. It's been, I can't believe, I know you've had a few little bits and pieces on the pod uh, over the the last couple of years, but it's been since episode 19 that you were like a, a big guest. So uh, it's glad to have you here, mate. I always love talking footy with you, no matter what, what the topic. Absolute, absolute pleasure, Carbs. And um, yeah, you guys. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't get to talk to Big T tonight, but I'm sure that'll um, that'll that'll come soon. Um, you guys just keep on doing what you're doing because you, you're doing great things um, to develop our game um, internationally and, 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 and make people aware of what's going on, which is um, fantastic. I love it, mate. I'll get when I find another dragon's friend, I'll get you in the same room as Big T. I just can't can't face <laughs> can't face two tigers. But Stu, thanks for chasing kangaroos with me, and uh, let's go straight to my chat with Greg Peters, CEO of New Zealand Rugby League. All right, Kangaroo Chasers, uh, very grateful to have this guest on the line with me today, all the way across the Dutch in New Zealand. He is probably one of the best sports administrators that the Kiwis have ever produced. He's the CEO of New Zealand Rugby League, Director of Asia Pacific Rugby League as well. Mr. Greg Peters, welcome to Chasing Kangaroos, mate. Good morning. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Good morning, indeed. Usually, um, I, I mentioned this before I started recording, but usually I speak to a lot of guests from places like Europe and, and North America. So when I speak to them, it's morning for them and evening for me. So it's nice to be speaking to someone in a similar-ish time zone to myself. You're over in Auckland. I'm in Sydney. So that's fantastic, mate. No, no, it's good. <laughs> it's good. Uh, easy, too easy. <laughs> Excellent. Mate, I'll get, let's, let's get straight into it. And I want to ask you sort of about, well, look, let's tell, some, tell the listeners about your history. So in terms of sports administration, you've got some great experience. And before you joined New Zealand Rugby League in 2018, let me know if I've forgotten anything, but you were the CEO of... South Africa, New Zealand, Australia rugby. You're the general manager of Argentinian Rugby Union, which would have been an incredible experience. CEO of Wellington Hurricanes, and you had various roles at the New Zealand Rugby Union. So I read some articles about, you know, around about the time that you joined New Zealand Rugby League, and they said things like, uh, this was a step down for you, or that, you know, New Zealand Rugby League needed you, but you didn't necessarily need them, and you were a bit of a saviour, you know, for the, for the sport in New Zealand after the Kiwis had just 
had a very terrible showing by their standards at the 2017 World Cup. So I guess my first question for you, and I want to open up the discussion by sort of asking, why rugby league? Why did you make the move? Yeah, well, firstly, thank you for the very kind intro and <laughs> and the history uh, history lesson. It take, it makes me feel a bit old, but um, uh, look, look, uh, yeah, I've been very privileged and lucky to to work in sport now for close to twenty five years, I think, or twenty something years, anyway. Yeah. And um, and a bunch of really interesting roles. Um, and I had uh, at the time I took this role, I come back from Argentina, and I was doing a bit of work with Fiji around uh, sevens, rugby union sevens, and potentially getting a leg of the sevens up up in Fiji, and um, uh, and just just a bunch of sort of I, I guess you call it consulting work with both Argentina and still and Fiji, and then this role here came up, and I kind of thought you know I was missing the people side of um, being involved in organisation and sport sporting teams, and yeah. and that you know that's that's you, you kind of miss it. It's a, it's almost like a yeah, when you when you, particularly when you're with teams, there's only two states of being: one's euphoria and the other's despair. <laughs> when you win, or, when you win or lose, but and uh, it, when you're in it, you kind of think this is pretty tough at times. But but actually, when you're out of it, it's almost like a drug. You miss it, so yeah. you, you want to be part of that kind of hype and excitement that's around sport. Uh, and the people side of it was is massive for me because for, for me, sport is you know my role is about trying to get the organisation to be in the best place to develop talent on and off the field. So that's it's pretty simple when you boil it down to that. Yep. So I, this role came up and and I saw the opportunity really. I saw an opportunity that, uh, you know, you could get another role in rugby union and particularly in New Zealand, uh, you kind of scrap around the edges of that. You can't make any change. You can't bring anything in. It's too big a beast. And, uh, you know, your team might win or lose or... You might do the odd commercial deal, but you don't really actually um, bring in any change or or make any big statements because yep. it's it's just too big a machine. So this role here, I thought, well, this is a really good opportunity to try and make some change and yeah, take great. this take the thing forward. And and particularly, what excited me and has excited me a hell of a lot more as I've got into it is the demographic that this particular code works in, um, in New Zealand particularly, uh, and around the world, but um, on Maori Pacifica, um, 86% of our playing population and, and 50% of them living in high deprivation areas in New Zealand. So it's it's a massive um, um, you know opportunity to impact on a community as well, which is the wider purpose of New Zealand Rugby League. It's incredible you say that, and that was sort of I noticed that more than ever, I think it was, um, it would have been 2019 when New Zealand played Tonga um, in yeah. Auckland. Yeah. And, you know, the whole crowd, pretty much 90% of the crowd were wearing Tongan jerseys and waving Tongan flags. But, you know, let's be honest, most of them were probably born in New Zealand. And it, it just sort of goes to show, I think that sort of thing, when you talk about those demographics, it's the sort of thing that we would have in the past that is a curse. We don't really know who we are, where we're from, or we do, but we're ashamed of it. But yeah, it's now it's now really a point of difference that um, we're not as as people, especially in Australia, and New Zealand, because we come from all over, and like you said, in New Zealand, particularly all over the Pacific. But we're not defined as people by boundaries so much anymore. And you can yeah. be born in New Zealand, live in Australia, and play for Tonga, 
like someone like J- um, Jason Taumalolo, you can yep. be born in southwest of Sydney but represent your Italian heritage and then go on to be one of the best best players for the Kangaroos like James Tedesco. Like we can do those things. And it sounds like, you know, you know, you had that great response from the Tongan New Zealand community at a time when there was a rugby world cup happening over in Japan as well. And the, the, the all blacks were playing. So how do you, I guess, how do we take advantage of this sort of, I don't know if I should call it a niche cause they're a large community, but how do we, how are you, what are you doing to try and take advantage of this opportunity? Yeah. Well, I mean, the fascinating thing with that, and you've painted a really good picture there is, is with the with the Tongan community, if you observed carefully uh, both that game and also last year when they played Australia, or two years ago, yeah. forget that 2020 yeah, was a <laughs> disaster. <laughs> um, um, but, um, in nine t- t- late 2019, when they played Australia and won and beat them for the first time, that that you, half the crowd, or well, a lot of the crowd, was were Tongan supporters, more than half, but. Um, they were they would sing both the Tongan national anthem and the New Zealand national anthem because yep. they're proud Kiwis as well in many cases. Um, so that that's the power of of the Pacific. And Auckland's the capital of Pacific. There are more Tongans and Samoans living in Auckland than there are in the islands yep. um, themselves. And so one of the one of the really neat things about rugby league is the ability for players to to play for the country of their heritage and also play for a tier one country if they if they if they choose to as well like a number of players have have as you said um, swapped camps and played for the country of their heritage and for their families and and that's one of the powers of rugby league. You don't see in other codes because it's more restrictive about how you can move. Yeah. And and it's a really neat little challenge for us because you know on one hand I have an imperative here that we want the Kiwis and Kiwi Ferns to be world champions. Yep. So we want the best players playing for them. But on the other hand, we want to grow the game in New Zealand. Um, and that means everyone having an opportunity to play it, irrespective of whether they go on to play for Kiwis and Kiwi Ferns or Tonga, Samoa, Fiji, someone else. Yep. Um, and so that's a really uh, quite, quite, quite a cool little challenge because, you know, we're, we're trying to grow the game and provide opportunities for kids who may or may not um, play for the national country, so you, uh, national team in, in terms of New Zealand. Yep. So what we've got to create in, in the Kiwis and Kiwi Ferns is the very best environment to, to, so that people want to play for, for New Zealand. Uh, but also they have the opportunity to play for their own country and their families, which is what Jason Damalolo did um, and made the decision for, for very, very good reasons, yeah, which so we fully, which, which was difficult at the time. But when you when you mature through that process, you fully respect that there's an individual decision that a player um, should be able to make. Yeah, you must be torn when decisions like that are made. And when you see, I, I see things online a lot, like when people name... I see a lot of people name their strongest like Pacific Island sides in the lead up to the World Cup on, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all that sort of thing. A lot of fans love doing things like that. And whenever they name the best Samoan side, like Roger Tuvasa-Shek is the fullback. Yeah. And you, yeah, might, yeah. you must think like, well, hopefully not. You know, we want we need him. You know, we need him for this World Cup, the Kiwis. So it, it must be, there's a little, you must feel torn when you see things like that. Like it's great for the game, but it's, you know, not necessarily great for the Kiwis. No, and that's right. That's the challenge that I'm sort of outlining. But um, as I said, our our 
our uh, goal is to create the very best environment. So Roger and others want to want to play for the Kiwis and want to be part of that. Um, however, fully respecting their right to play for the country, their heritage. I mean, I think the difference here too is that um, I think the number is 60% of that Tongan squad that have become the darlings of international rugby league yep. have um, were, were, grew up and play, grew up or were born and played their rugby league in Auckland. Yep. So, you know, that that they are Tongan, Tongan heritage, very proud Tongan heritage, but yep. but they are also Kiwis. So they've got that that uh, you know that choice, I guess. And we've put we've put either directly or indirectly a lot of um, investment into them being where they are, either through club football Auckland or or through uh, you know even junior New Zealand teams where you start pumping a bit of development money into them, and so. And that that's fine, you know. We just have to we we, we won't stop doing that because of Tongan heritage or Samoan heritage. We'll, yeah. we'll just keep doing it because it's our our uh, one of our core roles is to develop talent, as I said earlier. I guess the beauty is they can play for both during their career. You know, at the the way yep. the rules are with T one and T two sort of status. So that's that's a good thing. Another positive is you know I've heard uh, last year there was talk about, and I've heard interviews with uh, All Blacks like Artie Savia. Yeah. Guys like that who, you know, were very well known in New Zealand, very well known in their sport, have achieved everything at the absolute heights. Like playing for the All Blacks is something that every every Kiwi or uh, New Zealand born person wants to do at some stage, if, especially if they're great at sport. But Artie was talking about, you know, potentially having a go at the NRL because it would give him, him an opportunity to represent his heritage in Samoa, which is not something yeah. that he could do in rugby union. So you know, to get a name like that across the code would actually do probably do wonders for the sport and give us some recognition as well um, in in the greater sort of public as well. So there's there's so many. I guess there's a lot of pros and cons, but I feel like the pros outweigh the cons when you when you sort of look at it all, um, the big yeah. picture of it all. Well, that's right, and and you're getting the best players on the field, aren't you? If yeah. if, if you look at back through the history of the, of all black rugby, and even when the time I was at the Canes, Hurricanes, uh, you, the, you look at the Chris Marsoes, Ma'anonu, Tana Umanga, yeah. Jerry Collins when he when he was rest in peace. But yeah. um, the you know those guys, if they'd gone back and played for the country of the heritage after they'd finished the All Blacks, wow, yeah. <laughs> how, how powerful would Samoa? Um, for example, and uh, you know, the only reason they stopped that in rugby union is because Scotland and Ireland and Wales are scared. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't have that issue. Oh, we we might have that issue in rugby league, but it's uh, I guess the power is more in the southern hemisphere for our sport, which is uh, it is again it is. pros and cons. Um, so tell me, explain to our listeners a little bit about the roles and responsibilities of New Zealand rugby league, and what I mean by that is like, what can you explain? I guess the hierarchy of competitions that you administer from grassroots all the way up into like representative sites. Yeah, so we we have um, obviously the club competitions that are run. Fifty five percent of our player population is, or forty five percent of our player population, sorry, is in Auckland. So yep. it's massive club competitions in Auckland, but the very strong com- club competitions elsewhere in the country as well, and that's part of the what I'm focused on a lot of is growing that 
outside of Auckland, you know, maintaining it in Auckland, but ensuring that the rest of the country ultimately comes up to Auckland, particularly in the age grade areas. And there's quite a bit of crossover with other codes um, and players that want to play rugby league and other codes as well. Um, so it's managing, managing that. Um, it's um, then, then of course, this year for the first time we're going to have a national. We're going to kick the season off with a national under twenties. Yeah, awesome competition. Yep. We were going to have a New Zealand rugby league team in the SG Ball and in New South Wales, which we'd been accepted into, but uh, that requires free travel across and back from the Tasman, and that's not possible this year. Yep. So instead, we've got the six-team comp, which is a nationwide competition um, for top talent in New Zealand, effectively. Um, and then in 2022, hopefully we'll have that and back in, and in the SG ball. So that's kind of the, uh, I guess, the carrot for our kids. Yep. Um, so something to aspire to, something to work hard to get. get and, and also, obviously, for... Um, the the coaches and management management and people around those teams more opportunities to coach at a higher level and be involved with team management at a higher level in a program, um, and then we we are, we run our national um, national um, competitions like uh, secondary schools competitions held in September, twenty seven schools and girls girls component unfortunately for. The last two seasons, that's been cancelled, and that was one for COVID, and and in 2019 was uh, measles, which was an outbreak in Auckland, which we needed to get on top of. Uh, And then we have youth tournaments, national youth tournaments, which are zonal-based, which is 15s and 17s. We have um, then leading into a national sky sport, Women's Premiership and Men's Premiership, which is a uh, adult level, um, and then national teams under 16s, under 18s, Kiwi Ferns, Kiwis, um, and and also closely linked, although they run separately with our Maori tournaments and yep. uh, Pacifica tournaments that are that are massive. You know, ten thousand people will turn up to a Pacifica tournament oh, in Wellington wow. or Christchurch. Didn't know that. That's excellent. Uh, and the ethnic, the ethnic tournaments, uh, Indian tournament in Auckland, even which had 150 people at, which is quite quite amazing. Um, and, and that's the power of kind of um, enhancing and well respecting and enhancing and um, embracing the power of the Pacific in our game in New Zealand. It is incredible that, like, a lot, I know there was um, an Indian jungle cat side, and a lot of those players came from that that sort of domestic um, New Zealand setup. A lot of the Indian base. New Zealanders, and um, I had we had uh, we had a guest from in, the Indian Rugby League Federation on the show recently, and he spoke about the relationship they're building with that Jungle Cat side as well, and it's it's where the seeds grow for other for our sport elsewhere. So it's it's fantastic stuff. I love the um that twenties competition is really exciting, and I think the the fact that there's going to be a New Zealand Rugby League SG ball side as well, it just opens up another pathway because there's so much talent there which sort of gets lost if they don't find their way into the New Zealand Warriors sort of pathway. Um, yep. and a lot of players obviously find themselves in other systems, but it's it can be difficult to do that. So I guess what you're trying to do is identify the very best outside of the Warriors pathway and give them an, yeah, an opportunity but to also, be recognised. 
but also including their kids as well. Okay. So, you know, uh, so uh, so some of their guys will play in that under-20s as well. So, it, again, I suppose it's a bit like what I said about us and the Kiwis. Is, you know, we, if the Warriors are creating the absolutely best environment in their, in their um, setup, yep. then they're going to attract the very best Kiwis kids into that. And yep. that's that's their job to do that. As, and, and, the other, and if they don't, to, uh, you know, the ones that they don't take will go to the other 15 clubs. Yep. So our, our kind of role is to that level yep. um, and could provide them with the very best opportunities to go on and then we get them back at uh, Kiwis and Kiwi Ferns level yep. uh, t- to play internationally and then, but also ensuring that we've got something for the for the people that don't make it because yeah. all, albeit that there's 26 to 30% of NRL players are from New Zealand, um, there's a lot of that's only a very small proportion yeah. of the total people playing. Yeah, of course. And can you, you've touched on it there, the relationship with the New Zealand Warriors, because I think a lot of general fans of of the NRL wouldn't understand that New Zealand Rugby League and the Warriors are sort of separate. Can you sort of explain the relationship, how that works and, and what you guys do to yeah. sort of support each other? Yeah, like we've been working pretty closely with them in COVID, um, um, even more so after and during COVID because of, the, the challenges they've had with being based in Australia and also the cost of, you know, they've stripped out a lot, had to strip out a lot of their development yep. teams and 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 arguably our job anyway is, to, as I said before, to develop people to, to a stage where they can pick them up. Yep. So we, we uh, have a close relationship with the Warriors, um, with their, particularly now with their their um, junior coaching group, which is Tony Iro, um, Stacey Jones, and Adam Blair, um, a pretty proud Kiwi bunch in that lot. Yeah. Um, and um, and we we have Stacey's as assistant coach with the Kiwis, and Tony's been in and around the Kiwis for many years. And and Blairy obviously is one of our uh, p- uh, people who've played more than fifty caps. Yeah. Only two New Zealanders that have done so. So and a proud New Zealander, a proud cultural ambassador, all, the, all of those sorts of things. So it's that those people, we're, we're working a lot closely, more closely with the Warriors through through particularly that um, that change. And and also, I mean, we live in the same street. So um, we're, we're um, 100 metres away from their office. Oh, um, literally and, the same street. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and uh, Auckland Rugby League's down on the corner as well. So the three of us are all, all very closely... Um, closely related. It's rugby League Central. I love it. Yeah, and and, and so that that relationship's strong. Yeah, I, I think there's big changes at the Warriors and and changes for the better, and that they're you know they're moving through obvious challenge of being in Australia, and hopefully yeah. we can get they can get back by April at, or later at some stage during the year and have some home games here, and because they are. They are New Zealand Rugby League's shop front window, even yeah. though we don't run them. Yeah. And so, um, that w- the the fortunes of the Warriors and how they're going and how they're perceived affects how the code in New Zealand yeah. is is perceived. So it, it's it's critical that we have a good relationship, which we do have. So, with that being the case, the fact that they were based in Australia last year did that hinder popularity of rugby league in New Zealand, or did it do the opposite? Because they also talked about, you know, because they were doing such a honourable and such a ma- taking up such a massive task, I suppose. Were people proud of them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of Kiwi goodwill and good 
not only in rugby league supporters, but rugby union, other people who who support who who are following that story. Yeah, and it was a great story for the game and and for the Warriors, and everyone's very proud of how they um you know how how they carried themselves through that. Uh, I think our challenges last year were not having domestic content, although we were able to stand up stuff at the back end of the year, yep. which you probably saw, which was really exciting yeah. because there wasn't any inter- other international football pretty much in the rest of the world, with a couple of exceptions. But um, yeah, for us to be able to do that with the support of the government and, and funding um, uh, was really exciting because th- that provided a bit more focus for our um, domestic game at the end of the year when, when they'd been through some pretty tough times and yep. everything had been pretty much cancelled prior to that. Yep, sensational. And we talk about, I think we touched on this before I hit record, mate, but we often talk about here in Australia the NRL expansion and a 17th yep. club, maybe an 18th club. And there's a lot of talk about Brisbane too being the front runner, but I'm a big advocate for New Zealand too. Um, what are your thoughts on a New Zealand too? Would that... Would that, how big a difference or how big of an impact would that have on the sport over there? Oh, look, it would be ma- massive, but I don't know that we're ready for that, to yep. be quite honest, just yep. yet. I think we've got to get the development of the game right and we've got to invest in that rather than focus at that kind of um, professional club level at this stage. But if we were to get that right and those numbers going north of, of people from New Zealand um, involved in the NRL, there's absolutely no reason why that would, wouldn't be possible. That's an intri- um, it's an intriguing answer, and I'm, gl- I'm glad you're very honest about it. But let's dig a bit deeper. Like, what what would it take? What does it need to look like for, for New Zealand to, to sort of be ready? Well, I, th- I think the commercial pro- pro- proposition, we're a very small economy yep. um, uh, comparative and, uh, to, to Australia. Albeit that, you know, Sydney, I think, I can't remember the number, but something like 19 professional sports bodies in, yeah. in, 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 or entities in Sydney to all scrap and out. <laughs> Sorry? Probably too many in Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, the, uh, and a similar population as to the whole of New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, but, and we've got, we've got quite a few too, if you start at rugby union, basket, basketball, uh, netball, um, you know, just quite a few sports. Yeah. Bodies with their with their uh, noses in the trough in New Zealand, so uh, the the propos- commercial proposition would have to be outside of Auckland, yep. in my mind, yep. um, and probably Wellington, yep. um, um, and that is a big ask in, in in a small economy. So that's the first part. Second part is you want to make sure that we're not watering down the talent pool um, yep. and need to be sure that we could keep keep of the 30% enough of the people uh, in New Zealand yep. to stay and play for a second team. Yep. Um, and so th- there's just a bit, I'm not saying, I think there's just a bit of bit more work and a bit of take the time, do it properly rather than rush into it and then, and then end up with a, with a basket case. Yeah, we don't want a failure, I suppose. We don't want to rush into it. That's right. I always say as well, like, um, it would be very nice for the Warriors to win a grand final before we even start to think about New Zealand too, because I think that would just add to, I guess, the popularity and, and the need for another club. So they need to be successful, um, I, th- I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's right. What, mm. um, what about your relationship with the NRL and the ARLC? And the reason I ask the question is, 
I guess one of the biggest issues with rugby league in general is the dollars. And we speak to a lot of people from around the world, uh, administrators from nations that, you know, they can't rub two pennies together in some cases. Like, it's very difficult. And I know, you know, the NRL is obviously probably one of the richest bodies in rugby league, in the rugby league world. And, you know, a lot of funding goes down to New South Wales and Queensland rugby league. And I always feel that sort of New Zealand rugby league misses out there because I feel like New Zealand rugby league, if funded like we fund New South Wales and Queensland, there's a lot of potential there. What's your relationship? And and if you want to comment on that last bit, you can. Yeah, look, it, we've had a good relationship um, with the NRL. Uh, it was tied, tied in the previous regime, um, albeit a little bit fixed in, in that view of what funding might be possible to come to New Zealand. Yep. And at one end of the, that sort of equation, we're sort of saying to the NRL, um, treat us like a state, yeah. as you said. Yeah. But let us let us maintain our own sovereignty because we we need to be able to have to be New Zealand and Kiwis and and to be. But but we're quite happy to to um, report to you and have KPIs around any funding. Yeah. Uh, and. We've been incredibly encouraged um, in recent times, even not notwithstanding the, ch- the absolute challenges that the NRL have had to business to keep the business afloat and and um, changes within their internal staffing and funding and all of that. But really encouraged by the conversations we've had uh, with Peter Valandis, Andrew Abdo, and w- more widely with other commissioners about. The, the, about the recognition of where New Zealand sits in yep. the in the factory of players, um, and and uh, those those conversations are very positive uh, uh, and leading towards uh, a, a much closer and deeper development relationship, if you want to call it that. Yep. Um, so I, I, I'm really encouraged by where that sits right at the moment. And again, would that have happened without COVID? Possibly not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, be- because it's caused everyone to sit back and say, "Actually, are we doing this right? Are we? Uh, is there is is there a better way? Uh, how how where can we invest in that's really important? All of those sorts of things have become much more topical. Yeah. So I'm I'm very encouraged. Would be the way I'd say at the moment. It's and I th- and I think we've got a bright future uh, working together yeah, and collaborating yeah. rather than you know, rather than any other way. It's good to hear, and you can almost see. I can see it happening in the background, like where the feel like the NRL, ARLC, all of those bodies. They understand the importance of development, and we're seeing um, we're seeing pathways developed through Papua New Guinea with the hunter hunter side, Kaviti Silktails mm-hmm. as well with their academy yep. in Suva, and all of that sort of happening. Uh, this Pacific Trez, which is looking at coming through as well, the Queensland Cup, and but you'd you'd have to think that the greatest return on on investment for the NRL would be in New Zealand right now based on what's there. So it's um, reassuring to hear that, you know, the conversations are there and it's and it's looking bright. So that's amazing. Um, yeah, I, I think your point around Papua New Guinea, that's, that's a case, that's a separate case because yeah. Yeah, that, that rugby league is the, the, the sport, number one sport yeah. in Papua New Guinea and, and uh, yeah, it merits its own conversation. Um, whereas in whereas in um, Tonga and Samoa, the the, the players are largely, as I said before, growing up in Auckland or yeah. or or in Australia. Yeah. Um, in parts of Australia, so 
basically if you're wanting to to invest in Pacific Island development, you you invest in Auckland. Yeah, makes <laughs> um, sense as well <laughs> as well as having investment into the islands. But um, yeah, the talent is likely to come from Auckland. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, let's take me to I guess the end, the, the future, the end of your time at New Zealand Rugby League, and we're not going to say when that is, or you probably don't, aren't <laughs> sure yet, but. Um, what, well, someone else will tell me that probably. <laughs> someone will tell you eventually, <laughs> depending on how things go. What What would you have liked to have, have achieved there by the time your time is up, and what do you see in the future for yep. New Zealand Rugby League? Yeah, so so we, we, we have an underlying purpose, which is more than a game, and uh, which is transforming lives and community well-being through Rugby League. Yep. And then underpinning that is a thing we call the Kiwi Way, and you know, if, you're not a, if you're a Kiwi or if you're not a Kiwi, you probably hear that used um, quite commonly, but yep. the the uh, we we own that space, the Kiwi Way, which is kind of how we behave and how we are and how we how we want the code to be perceived and who we are as people. Yep. Uh, and there is a distinct Kiwi Way. Um, so in in the way that we're looking to 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 bring that through the code. So I, I want to see that personally embedded yep. in our organisation, so you can't shift it. It's you know someone comes along and just chucks it all out and starts again. Oh, you want to build? I want to leave an organisation that someone can come in and, and build on top of that and keep going and take it higher and better than 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 anything we've been able to do during my time. So, so that that that's kind of the ideal for me because the last thing you want is to walk out and it all get thrown out and changed and start again. Yeah, because that's just not that's not in my mind leadership. My yep. mind's leadership is leaving an organisation that doesn't do that. Um, secondly, uh, obviously, we want uh, I, critically the development and growth of the game and reposition rugby league in New Zealand in the space it used to be in and has fallen away a little bit and the massive opportunity that we've just been talking about um, in growth of the players. So the development of the game, um, a much more stable game, much more... Um, Coordinated and um, and and consistent, credible, professional delivery of the game in New Zealand. That, yep. That's the second part, and the third is success on the international stage. Um, what would be fantastic if we came away two World Cup wins and and uh, <laughs> uh, 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 those sorts of things, which we all aspire to. Yeah, and uh, um, and and that that provides the showcase and. And, and that we need at the front end of the game to actually take Kiwis and other people around the world with us on that journey. Yep. So, uh, and I think, uh, you know, I want I want people, as I said early, much earlier in this chat, it's about, for me, it's about developing people on and off the field. Yeah. So if we can do both of that and, and the off-field part is just as much, then and we, we leave it with a more um, capability um, within an organisation and more money and more more investment in the game, then I'll be very happy. That's awesome. I think there's two great lessons there for, for administrators around the world who we've spoken to and about and who listen to this show. Uh, that number one has to be culture. You need to build a unique culture that is specific to, to your organisation. And number two is not being afraid to lay the foundations for the next person to make it better than you did. Um, yep. You know, and I think that's something that people struggle with they want they want to be seen as the the hero but you really need to build something and when you're at, at the level that you're at you need to build it and make sure the next person can has is in a position to do better and i think that's 
I think you've got all those ingredients. I think that's fantastic. Thank you. You mentioned World Cup wins being important. Um, and I'm of the opinion that hosting a World Cup could do wonders for the sport in New Zealand. And I'm wondering on what your thoughts are. Like, I'm, I think I get an honest opinion on whether or not you guys are ready for it or whether or not it should happen and how it might happen. Yeah, it, that's a really interesting question. Um, and when I first came into this role in, uh, in 2018, we were playing we, – we, there was already a scheduled test match against Australia yep. on, in October that year. And I, and I naturally thought Australia versus New Zealand – this this is going to go off, you yep. know, just like it does in every other code. Yep. And 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 there were some complicating factors, but we we were and we were late to the late to the action and stuff in terms of marketing it a little bit. But we only ended up with ten thousand people at the game. Yeah. And I said, how can that be? How, what's happened here? You know, why isn't it why isn't it full of people who just want to see New Zealand or Australia? Yeah. <laughs> Beat each other up, yeah. and and someone comes winning, um, uh, you know, and hopefully Kiwis, obviously from my point of view. But it, it, so the positioning of the game and where the international game has is got to, is it needs a lot of work. So New Zealand hosting a World Cup on its own, rugby league World Cup on its own, at the moment wouldn't be, I don't think, a commercially viable proposition in this country. Yeah, that that's that's the challenge. So in 2017, when we did part of a World Cup and it went off, you know, with Tonga Tonga coming up and, and unfortunately from our point of view the Kiwis not doing as well as yeah. they should have, but yeah. but other countries beating the Kiwis. Yeah. So obviously if you're taking a World Cup point of view, that was of interest to fans from those other countries. Um so that's the challenge is getting getting the code back to a position where it is actually is is actually able to attract the fans to games. And one of the big things in New Zealand is a price point around ticketing. Yep. So if you if you go to a Kiwis Tonga, you pay twenty five bucks as an average ticket price. Yeah. Now that's you try and make that work economically, even with a full house, and it's uh, at Mount Smart, and you can do the math. It, do, it doesn't leave a lot. Yeah. Um, whereas if you go to an all-black test match at Eden Park, you're probably at a hundred dollar average, and yep. you've got fifty thousand people. Yeah. So that's one of the big challenges is a, and commercial viability and economic um, um, position that underpins the game. So all of those, all of that says it's di- a difficult proposition for New Zealand to host host a World Cup on its own. Yep. Certainly matches and pools and all of that, absolutely, but not not on its own. Um, and we've got to, from an international rugby league point of view, break away from the cycle of England, Australia, New Zealand, England, Australia. You know, yeah. We've got to get some other venues in other countries that are capable of hold, hosting a World Cup um, yeah. and get those countries. Like France, once, yeah. once proud country. Yeah. The US, everyone wants to get into, but that's, that's challenging. Um, yeah, where else can we do it? Can we do it in Pacific? Can we do it in Papua New Guinea as part of it? Those are the considerations we need to be looking at to grow the game so that there are multiple possibilities for a World Cup host. Yeah, yeah. You took the words out of my mouth for some of those other locations as well. Um, I think France would mm. be amazing. Uh, North America's the dream, right? Um, is, is the answer somewhat, you know, getting, I, I guess, lifting the, the, the punters' val- like perceptions of international rugby league, playing more international rugby league, playing different nations, um, like what, what's the answer? How do we lift those perceptions and how do we, cause for me, like 
I believe New Zealand versus Tonga can be as big a state of origin, you know, yeah. in terms of perception. So how do we do that? And is that the way that we, is that the way that we lift the value proposition? Yeah, that, that's right. And we're having a settled international calendar with some meaning around it. Yeah. Um, and you, you, I think you point to a very good point that New Zealand Tonga is almost our, our state of origin. Yeah. Um, and, and build on that and, uh, and grow that proposition because that that kind of happened a little bit by accident, didn't yeah, it? Yeah. No one, no one, no one really, no one really saw the explosion of of that whole proposition that happened during two thousand and seventeen. Yeah, it, it wasn't sort of foreseen in that way. I don't, I don't think. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And now look at it, and so ever, and people are saying, well, Samoa, why can't that be like that? Yeah. And and it's true. Why can't it be like that? Yeah. It should be good. Same passion, same cultural significance, all of those things that go into Tonga are in Samoa. Yeah. It almost um, needs to happen organically, like because even State of Origin, yeah. it State of Origin wasn't a thing until Artie Beatson whacked his wrist as teammate. And and yeah. with Tonga, yeah. New Zealand, it was like, <laughs> yeah, it was it was Jason Taumalolo and, and Fafida saying, no, you know what? I want to play for, New Ze- for Tonga. I don't want to play for New Zealand or Australia. And that, like that sort of, that's what made it a thing. And we couldn't, you can't yep. predict that. You can't manufacture that. You can't say, all right, Samoa, let's throw in Roger Tuovasashek and some of the, these other guys and let's make that as big. You can't, you can't manufacture it. It has to happen organically. And I just think when yep. the opportunities present themselves, we need to take advantage of it. And I just don't know as a sport internationally if we're, if we're there yet, if we can take those opportunities. Yep. Yeah, and that's right. So the growth, the growth of that needs to happen. And listeners and yourself, I'm not sure. You may recall when in rugby union, um, when Samoa was run out of Auckland, Manu Samoa, mm. um, and made the '99 quarterfinals of the World Cup mm. um, because they had a bit of investment pumped into them, they had a better, better structure around the team, coaching, all of that sort of stuff. Yep. Um, maybe that's the kind of focus. That we need, and as an international, if international body, this is not New Zealand Rugby League. This is more internationally looking. Yep. We kind of target those areas and put a bit of investment into. In France is included in that. I might add. Yep. Um, and put some investment in, put some structure, help them get in and help them. Um, and unfortunately, that's going to fall on some of the bigger guys. Yep. Um, who've got a bit more money and a bit more broader broader ability to invest um we can we can certainly help but we don't have have the financial wherewithal to to pump a whole bunch of money into other countries but um the uh you know if we do that maybe we can grow the whole proposition and 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 um make it far more successful on an international stage i love your outlook how yeah obviously in this because you wear the asia pacific rugby league hat as well like your outlook is more than than New Zealand Rugby League, and I just wonder if a lot of that comes from your time at Argentinian Rugby Union. That potential. Oh, it just comes. I, I think it comes from wanting the best for the code um, overall, and yeah, a bit, bit of experience factor, I guess, over a few years. But I'm also on the International Rugby League board, so I've got kind of <laughs> yeah. another hat there as well, um, which it means you've got to you you want to have a broader perspective about growing a game internationally. I look at the numbers around the Rugby League World Cup and I think, well, Rugby League World Cup, I think the first one was 50, 1954. Um, 
and there were 30 years before Rugby Union had its first World Cup in yep. 1987, and Rugby League gave Rugby Union the rights to use World Cup and rugby in the same um, same phrase, yep. as I understand it. And then uh, in the 2019 World Cup in Japan, made 300,000, Rugby Union World Cup made 300,000 pounds. Yep versus the 2017 Rugby League World Cup in Australia and New Zealand, $7 million. Yeah, yeah. So how, how did we screw that up? Yeah. That's the question. I had the same conversation with Tony Collins uh, not long ago as well about that whole, like we owned that IP pretty much and we sort of gave it away and it's it makes things tough. Yeah. I, I guess, again, it comes back to, we talk about things being a hindrance or an opportunity like, Let's take Argentina, for example. If we wanted to sort of start to develop rugby league there, at least they already have an understanding for the the code because they are familiar with the 15-man version of, the, of, of rugby. So I guess, again, there's pros and cons, and we just need to figure out how we turn these things into opportunities. Yeah, and not spreading ourselves too, too thinly. Yeah. So focus on, obviously, the power of the Pacific, yeah. and then you've got, and, and we've got to keep, growing that and yep. and that's the strength of the game really yep. and then you've got France so uh, let's get that sorted yeah uh, and and the UK has to well England has to have a yeah have to have, have has to have a, a driving role in that yeah. with some help yep. um, and then how can we get UK other countries so you kind of build that kind of north south thing because at the moment yeah. it's very much pulling people down south isn't yeah. it the south I mean, is super really, leagues yeah. the, the super s- leagues important it, it really is, and but each year there's more of a gap, isn't there, between the the, the north and the south, and you know the north need to get their act together, and maybe we all need to help each other. I think that's sort of key as well. Oh, we all need to be working together. Absolutely agree. We can't do it in isolation, and and um, responsibility to grow the game internationally. Because if we just focus, if it all just centres on Australia, yeah, uh, and in ten twenty years time, then rugby league won't be won't be the game that we want it to be. Exactly. I'm wondering, and you may not want to answer this question, <laughs> Greg, but what are your thoughts given your your position internationally in Asia Pacific and New Zealand? Like, what are your thoughts on the Tongan situation? Because obviously there's been, you know, there's been some tense administrative issues over the yeah. last couple of years. Where do you sit on that and how do you see it sort of, um, sort of recovering? Yeah, look, I, I, I'm really keen for it to get resolved. I yeah. think it's a very unfortunate situation um, where, <clears throat> and we need we need Tonga to have one clear body that's running Tongan Rugby League and again, <laughs> really challenging for that because when you've got Tonga itself, you've got Auckland with a couple of groups and you've yeah. got Australia and you've got largely Australian based players, few Aucklanders in the team and a and a coach who was formerly Australian based now in the UK, that's quite hard to manage yep. for anyone. Yep. I wouldn't. So I can understand how the challenges have kind of developed over time. Uh, and for me personally, I've got a vested interest in in making sure that Tongan is is in a good space because of the number of Tongans uh, in Auckland yep. and playing in the game. Uh, and I and I'm yeah I'm. I'm disappointed where that, that's got to and hopeful that we can get a resolution that actually gets everyone back on the same page. And for me personally, this personal view, um, 
the way to resolve this is is not in a Western European um, way. Yeah. There's, there's a Pacific Island way, and um, unfortunately that's been um, compromised by COVID and the inability of people to travel and yeah. sit in a room and work it out over some carver for yeah. a bit of time. <laughs> Best and, way to do it. That, that's, how, that's how this will get resolved. It won't get resolved in a court. It'll get resolved um, when people get together and, and work it out. Yeah. Um, and that's the Pacific way, and it's the way that we're all used to in New Zealand as well. It's not um, a particular Maori Pacifica cultures. Yep. That's the way of working out problems, not in a court. It, it almost comes down to as well the thing we touched on before, power and who has the power. And I, I don't mean this in a bad way, but you look at we've had similar situations in our sport in places like Lebanon where you know you've got a you've got people on the ground domestically trying to build up the game and doing things. But when it comes to World Cups, it's really the Australian-based Lebanese heritage guys that yeah. are that are you know the reason for the success at that level. And then you get to a point where, well, who's in charge? And, you know, these guys only care about it every four years, but these guys are working on the ground. And how do, how do we all work together? And, and some nations do it well. I know like Italia Rugby League and, it's, you know, the Furla and Furl, the Australian side and the, the Italian side, they work well together. The Greeks work yeah. well together. You know, the Brazilians are starting to work really well together. They're obviously very fresh and new uh, in, in the Women's World Cup, for example. But... It needs to sort of be symbiotic and I think we need to, you know, the heritage side needs to say, all right, how do we help the domestic guys do this well and how do we work together? And, and we need to be there to, to assist more than anything else. And, you know, I think Carver's probably the best sitting around some, and having some Carver is a good way, would be a good way to achieve yeah. it all, mate. Yeah, in Tonga, in Tonga, I might add. Yeah, of so, course. You know, yeah, of course. Yeah, and 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 that and that and that's the that's the, been the challenges. Yeah, we're all doing this on Zoom and video yeah. and teleconferences, and you can't actually get face to face and get to the root of the issues. Yeah, yeah, mate. Um, this has been a fascinating chat. We've gone to places I didn't expect to go, and I think that's really <laughs> incredible. Our hour's almost up, so I really want to thank you for your time. I'm grateful for it, Greg. It's been fantastic chatting to you. Is there anything else that you'd like to uh, that I may have missed out on that you'd like to mention, or anyone you'd like to shout out to, or, or point our fans and listeners in the direction of? No, no, I, I think uh, I've really enjoyed the chat. Thank you. Uh, really appreciate uh, the opportunity to to speak to you, and hopefully the listeners find um, find something of interest in in our chat. But uh, thank you for for making the time. I'm sure they will, mate. Greg Peters, thank you for chasing kangaroos with me this morning. Thank you. Chasing Kangaroos is brought to you by Matt Haynes Sport. We are mixed and produced by Paul Murchison. Our theme music was written and recorded by Ash Barco and Ricky Cancino. The podcast is hosted by me, Michael Carboni, and The Biggest Tiger. Views are our own. Mm-hmm.